Kiora and welcome to this episode of the Windows on Dementia Bod podcast. I'm Lanita Russell, Principal Advisor Services and Standards for Alzheimer's New Zealand, and I'm joined here today by Dr. Anna Lawrence and Liz Childs from Continents New Zealand. Anna is a New Zealand trained urologist with numerous areas of expertise, but most notably for this podcast, She's currently involved in research relating to dementia and incontinence. Liz is a pelvic health physiotherapist with extensive experience treating people of all ages with pelvic floor dysfunction. You know, those muscles that we need to keep taut with exercise, but which we often tend to neglect. Continence is one of those subjects that no one wants to talk about, and there are a number of reasons why someone with dementia mafia worry worry becomes incontinent. Today, we'll ask Anna and Liz some of the questions you may have, questions that I've often heard over my career. So welcome, Anna and Liz. So let's start off with, when we talk about continence and incontinence, what exactly do we mean? Would you like to start start here, Anna? Sure. Thank you so much for having us. Um, It's a topic that's very close to both our hearts and we're excited to talk. But when we talk about incontinence, um, both urinary and fecal, it's about the passage of any urine or any feces in a place that's not socially convenient. So sometimes people try and minimalize it and they talk about a little bit of leakage when they're talking about urinary incontinence, but that is still incontinence. So when you pass urine, when you don't mean to pass urine, that is incontinence. Um, And it's certainly not a normal process um, associated with aging or associated with being a female, because often as women we're told to, you know, that we've had children or we're just a woman who's going through hormone changes, so therefore it's normal. But it's not normal, and we know that it can be exceptionally socially isolating, and it's really difficult to talk about, as you mentioned. And so often people don't get it addressed because they don't want to talk about it, and they live an isolated life or a really limited life because they're worried about it. And it's even more difficult in the patient who's got dementia and also for their carers as well and their whanau. Thank you. That does explain the difference. And, and it is um, important to, for us to remember that continence and incontinence is about both urinary incontinence and fecal incontinence. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, why is it important to seek help from a person as soon as they know um, as soon as they notice problems developing? I think that's a really good question. There's a lot of shame and embarrassment around these issues, and people often don't seek help because they don't think help's available or they don't know where to go to access help. And I think it's really important with people with dementia that we don't just dismiss their incontinence. Um, It's easy to let them, you know, just have a pad, but we shouldn't be treating it as something that can't be changed or altered or improved. And we should be doing what we can um, to help them to get to the toilet and to help to support their dignity and self-respect. And it might be that there's just some simple strategies that can make a really big difference for that person. Yeah, I absolutely agree with Liz. The earlier you seek help for any continence or incontinence issues, 
the more likely we can put successful strategies in place and the more likely it will have a smaller impact on your well-being, respect and social interactions. Mm. And it might be that it was early stages of dementia that we could teach people pelvic floor exercises, but it's unlikely that as it progresses that that's going to be an option for these people. But, you know, there might be, as we saying you know simple things that mean they have fewer accidents that they you know we're maximizing their comfort avoiding smells um, protecting their skin and just you know maintaining their own dignity so you talked about the pelvic exercises can you tell us a little bit more about those and why it's important to start those as early as possible so when you doing pelvic floor exercises the pelvic floor muscles are the muscles that go from um, the pubic bone at the front they're like a sling through to the back and if you're going to be strengthening these muscles it's a feeling as though you're squeezing and pulling up inside so men and women can do these but I think that's probably not really an option for people who are not able to remember to do exercises if they've got someone that can remind them and you know they could come along and also learn how to do them then that might be helpful so those muscles do help to um, give you more control with your bladder and your bowel but there's a lot more to it than that sure um, especially with people with dementia um, because often we think of women doing pelvic floor exercises but we don't so often think of men doing pelvic floor exercises, but you've just said, you know, women and men. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we see men and women that who have pelvic floor problems. Mm. Um, right. That's help. good. Exercise can help both. So thinking of people um, more particularly with dementia, Marty, worry, worry, um, and, and so if it's unlikely that they're going to be able to remember or, um, you know, manage to do the exercises, what other things can you put in place to help support them? I think if you can get a routine with both them and their carers or their whanau really early in the diagnosis, often you can get into the habit of doing pelvic floor exercises like you would for any exercise program. Um, and that's again goes back to that seeking help early because our pelvic floor physios that we have in New Zealand are really amazing at teaching people how to do these um, training programs and get those muscles working the way we want them. So if you get in early and you can get it into a routine just like brushing your teeth or <clears throat> doing exercises for your other muscles in your body, um, it's, you know, it's ingrained in the routine. If we miss that window, it is important still to be seeking out someone with a continent specialty because a lot of these patients can have medications or alterations to their fluids and their diets. Um, <clears throat> we can do simple things like timed voiding or something we call double voiding where we get them to try and wee in one sitting. And all of these things tend to work not 100%, but really effectively to give them freedom and quality of life and that's ultimately what it's about you know improving someone's quality of life so their bladder and their bowel doesn't mean they can't do things um, and beyond that we as a surgeon we've got lots of tricks up our sleeves um, that we can use for patients but it all has to be 
orientated around what that patient's continence uh, or incontinence is and also what their whānau want in terms of care, care input as well, what's appropriate um, and what's appropriate for the patient as well because obviously as surgeons we can do lots of things that we think are very clever but it's got to be appropriate for each individual person who presents to talk to you about it. So it's not one sort of hat that fits everyone. And that's why, again, it's really important to seek care um, because then you can get specialised care surrounding your presentation and your continence issues. Yeah, and I think also um, depending on what part of the brain is affected, that's going to impact people in different ways with their continence. So it might be that they don't react appropriately um, and in a timely way, they might not be getting those messages that they um, need to go to the toilet. So they're, they're not getting that urge, they're not aware, or they might not know what to do when they get that that message or the mobility might be affected. So, you know, if people are a bit older, they're probably going to be a bit weaker anyway, might have issues, or they might get distracted on the way. So there's lots of sort of steps along the way where we need to be, um, you know, looking at what skills they may or may not have and where we could step in to help them with that. Um, it might be that they get distracted when they're on the toilet. So perhaps, um, or, or they they forget that they're there and, and forget what they're doing and they leave halfway through. Um, so maybe they need something to distract them while they're there. Um, or they might need help with um, wiping themselves afterwards, that sort of thing. Um, so it's about sort of working out what they can do and what they need help with so that we can allow them to be as independent as possible. From a really simple point of view, as an example of getting an assessment so you can see the simple things we can put in place, often in a lot of um, rest homes or care homes, patients get cups of tea every you know three or four hours. Now we know that tea makes people's bladders much worse in terms of urgency and frequency. So it can be as simple as switching that tea out for a warm water or a Milo or something like that rather than a tea or a coffee because that is just going to make any urgency or frequency or irritation much worse. And again, as Liz said, sometimes they don't know what that is and it can be quite distressing for them. They don't understand the sensation that they're getting, the urgency they're getting. And so that just goes back to really simple strategies that we can put in place that can actually make a huge difference for people. And it might also be things like learning to look for the signals. So the person might not be able to, to verbally say, I need to go to the toilet, but they might start to get agitated or, um, you know, moving a bit in the chair and, you know, learning that that might mean that they need to go to the toilet um, and, you know, spacing out their fluids over the day and having that regular um, toileting for the bladder. Um, and the other thing that you can do in terms of trying to maintain really good bowel routines, um, we have a reflex when we eat um, called the gastrocolic reflex and it tends to help push things through the gut and, and you can get a sense of needing to go to the toilet then. So it might be worth taking people to the toilet half an hour after they've had a meal and they sit down and, and perhaps they might have a bowel motion. And, you know, we've been doing these things, going to the toilet to empty our bladder and our bowel 
all our lives. And so these people that have with dementia, they've done it thousands and thousands of times. So it's really ingrained and it might just be that, you know, there's something familiar about that and that's enough to help facilitate it um, so that they can be confident they're not just relying on pads. I think you've both touched on some really important stuff. I mean, Anna, you know, you touch, if, if we have something that we say, and that's if you've met one person with dementia, you've met one person with dementia. And that's very much what you were saying. It's the individual and you need to just look at that individual. And then you're both touching on, you know, the, the things that perhaps the person can't express. And so it's looking for the clues that they're given and looking at their past behaviours and all of those kind of things can also um, help make it easier for the person to have a normal bowel motion or to go to the loo on time. So really, really good stuff. And, and um, we started to touch Liz on continence products. Now we see continence products advertised on TV and they're available in supermarkets and, you know, there's some good and bad about that advertising, I guess. But why is it important to get expert assistance in, collect in, in selecting the confidence product that is best um, suited to the person's needs? So I think what you're saying there, you know, what's best suited to the person's needs. So everybody's different and there are a lot of products available. So it's going to depend on how much leakage there is over a period of time. So the, the product that they use needs to have enough absorbency um, so that it's going to draw the, the urine away from the skin. Um, and if it's only a small amount, if it was less than, say, 200 mils, then they might be able to get by with pads or washable underwear, the reusable underwear. Um, so the pads, you can get them in the supermarket and they have a droplet system. So the more droplets that are shaded, the greater the absorbency. Um, if they're leaking significantly, then they might need um, much bigger pads that are going to need the sort of net pants to hold them up. Mm -hmm. Or they could perhaps use pull-ups. So those quite pull-ups are quite good for people who are a little bit more independent and they're a little bit more like undies. So they might feel more natural for people so the style is important and the absorbency but also the size so it's really important that the sizing is right and a lot of the products will have information on their packaging about how to measure to make sure you do get the right size so you want to get the right fit so that there's not so they're going to be comfortable and not chafing and so that they're not leaking because um, all of those things are going to lead to poor skin health um, and then you can get extra little inserts um, to go in for people who have faecal incontinence as well, which can sort of sit inside to help. So um, yeah, options. <laughs> I think it's also important that you get referred through your continence nurse as well, because there is funding for some products in New Zealand and continence products are exorbitantly expensive. And although you may not get enough if you're quite wet or faecally soiled, you'll get some, which is better than none. Um, don't get me wrong, I don't think it's an ideal situation, but um, without the way it's funded in New Zealand, you can get some from the your Te Whata Ora hospital system. Um, and 
that way also, as Liz has said, you need to get the right size and the right absorbency, and the continence nurses should be able to assess the patient or the person for that and work that out, what size is appropriate and what absorbency is appropriate. Mm. They are a really good resource. Yeah, they are. And I think getting that referral through to, to Whatiora, um, they're going to be able to have a full assessment as well. And some of those things that we've talked about earlier that might be able to put be put into place, those sorts of practical things that might help as well as assessing for continence products. So it's kind of a big picture. So coming up, doing an assessment and then coming up with a management plan and um, working out how these people can be helped in the best way. Fantastic. So they can get that referral through their GP or their primary care practice. Yeah. 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 To the yeah. continence nurses, often you see these letters in there too, the incontinent nurses. So our nurses are not incontinent themselves. <laughs> it's a specialty, especially nurses. Yeah. So um, the every um, every Tefata or catchment is meant to have continence nurses, specialist nurses who are trained and quite passionate about. Okay, so people just need to ask. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sometimes they might get an um, an occupational therapist to do an assessment. So they they might be able to provide handrails or a higher seat or other aids that that might be helpful, or perhaps get a commode if it's too difficult to get to the toilet. Um, so that can all sort of be organised through that, and perhaps through a, a sort of needs assessment process as well. Absolutely. So the important thing is, don't be too embarrassed to ask. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. These problems are really common and there is help available. Yeah. 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 And it's not pads that are available or pull-ups that are available. So if you look at the advertising, you've got to remember those companies have bigger budgets for advertising than we have for our entire healthcare delivery in New Zealand. And so they do minimalize it and give people the impression that there is nothing out there other than pads and pull-ups. Yeah. Um, but not the case. Like pads and pull-ups are great and in their place, but there's often a lot more that can be done by specialist physios, OTs and nurses and people like myself. That means you aren't dependent on those. Absolutely. Look, thank you both very much. You've both covered some areas that are really, really important for people living with dementia matter worry worry. We know that continence issues are one of the main reasons for people going into age residential care. But it's good to hear that there are things that can be done, that there's advice available, and that there might also be some financial assistance to help ensure that the correct products are available, because all of those things help maintain the self-esteem of the person with dementia, and they help to reduce the burden on their care partners and on their families um, and whānau. So all very important. Yeah. So, so much for joining us, Anna and Liz. It's really been great to have you on this podcast to learn more about this important but not often talked about topic. Our pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting us. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure to help. Thank you. And if you're listening and you're worried about yourself or somebody you know, we do encourage you to reach out to your local Alzheimer's or Dementia Matter Worry Worry organisation or, of course, to Continents New Zealand for more support. Thank you for your time. Nā mihi. Mm -hmm.